Genesis chapter 14. Let's go before the king one more time. Lord, I thank you so much that you even decide to use a fool like me, Lord. What are these people doing here, king? Thank you that you've been a blessing. Thank you that you've brought so many here to this place tonight. And I just ask that you'd speak to every single heart, that they would walk away changed forever. That they would hear the word of the Lord for their life individually tonight. They would have years to hear. Focus, Lord, sharp minds. Please come and stand here, Jesus. Lord, are you here in this room? We sense you, King, and we know that you're here. We ask that you'd speak to us. We're excited about what you're going to do. Help us to learn more about you and spend more time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Genesis chapter 14. Kind of a, it's kind of a different passage here that we're looking at. It's, I don't know, it's titled The Battle of the Kings in my Bible. That's what the uh, little you know thing on the top of the page says, little title there. And it, because of what happens, there's kind of some battles and things that go on. And the first uh, 12 verses here are pretty much a bunch of names. Four kingdoms rising up against five kingdoms coming together. The four kingdoms drop kick the five kingdoms. They beat them. They knock them down. So I'm just going to read through this and what happens. I'm not going to give too much background on it because we just get lost and spend more time than we need to here. I'm going to try to pronounce a bunch of names. And if it doesn't come out, praise the king. If it does come out, okay, then you've been blessed. So let's read together there and... Chapter 14. Wait, a little background. Remember, Abraham is just what in chapter 13? Remember, he has just went with Lot. And him and Lot, who's Lot? That's his nephew, remember? That's his brother's son, his nephew, right? Lot's been, Lot's been traveling with him. And they stand up and they say, hey, what do you want for land? Remember, they stand there together and, and Abraham, the older, says to the younger man, hey, what do you want for land? That's amazing right there. Remember the grace and... and to be able to say to a person younger than you or to be able to humble yourself in that matter, even though you deserve the first pick at land, he lets his nephew give the, get the first pick of land. Remember? What does he pick? He picks over there by Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember? Because he's looking for uh, just all kinds of bad things. He chooses a place of sin. He chooses a place of, like, Vegas, you know, and happening and this and that. He misses out on it. Then what, is, what does Abraham do? Abraham says, okay, I'll just take the rest. And what does God end up doing? God says, hey, Abraham, because you've been so gracious, because you're my man, everything that you see, that's including Sodom and Gomorrah, you will have every single bit of it. And that's a lesson to us, my friends. When you live for the king, when you live with integrity and character, and when you humble yourselves, and when you give things up, and when you you step aside and be the generous, and be the gracious, and be the faithful... You will see that even though you may be losing right now, people looking at you, oh, you want to go out, you don't want to go do this, you don't want to go do that, oh, what's wrong with you? But oh, okay. Yeah, I may be losing right now, but just lots in the future, I will be further. All my buddies in high school, oh, snap. They're still messed up. Gosh, they call this kid Jared. They call him School Bus Jared. You want to know why? Like School Bus, Short Bus Jared. He was like Mr. Studly Cool Guy, like in, in, in high school, you know, get all the chicks, ladies and that. Now they call him School Bus Jared because he's like, he's, he's drank so much and he's had sex with so many women and he's, he's 
so far out there, hasn't done anything with his life, no education, no moving forward in life. I mean, they call him Short Bus Jared now. He gets in tons of fights, but he's just like, that's who he's labeled as. I'm like, yeah, Snap, you're the king in high school, but now you're nobody. And now you've missed out, and I feel sorry for you, my man, and I wish I could reach out and pull you out of there. Why don't you get out of that mess? Why? Have fun right now so you can have misery later? That makes no sense. It doesn't work. I've experienced it, and you have too. We all have. And you know what it is. And Lot said what? I want that. And he got that. And guess what? Abraham got it all in the end, my friends. All of it, because he was the faithful man. And so that is our foundation of what we're looking at. We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 14, and I'm going to try to pronounce a bunch of names. So, chapter 14, verse 1. I'm reading out of King James, so bear with me. Here we go. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Eliezer, I know this one, I pronounce it right. It's Chedoleomar, that's how you say it. Chedoleomar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. That's the man who produced waves. <laughs> that these made war with Beria, king of Sodom, with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinad, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboyama something like that. And the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the valley, or the valley of Siddam, which is the salt sea. So what happens here in verse 1 through 4, you see two kingdoms rise up against each other. In verse 1, there's four kingdoms mentioned there. In the second verse, there are five kingdoms mentioned there. They come up, the four kingdoms dropkick the five kingdoms and win. And so they take them as... as uh, Chedoleomar, King Chedoleomar, he is the one who is leading this thing, and he takes these five kingdoms under captive. And what happens there in verse 4? Twelve years they served Chedoleomar. In the thirteenth year they rebelled. So these five kingdoms all of a sudden start to rebel against King Chedoleomar. And in the fourteenth year came Chedoleomar, verse 5, and the kings that were with him and smote the Raphams, and in Ashtaroth and uh, Kernaim, and in Zuzims, and in Ham, and the E, Mims, and the Sheva, and whatever, and the Horites, and their Mount Seir, unto which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to uh, Enmish, Enmish, Enmishpath, I'm sorry, which is Kadesh, and smote all the countries, and the Amalekites, and also the Amorites, and dwelt in whatever that is. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adama and the king of Zeboim and the king of Belea or Bela, same as Zorah. And they joined battle with them in the valley of Siddam. With Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, remember, the king of waves, and king of, nation, uh, king of nations and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and the rest of the names there, Eleazar, four kings with five. So you just see this battle go on. You see them go, it's kind of like the battle of the kings going on here. Um, and I'm not really going to break it down and show any kind of application. The reason why did I read that to you? 
so that in the end I can say I read every single word to you in the Bible, that every single word has been told to you, just in the same way Joshua did, and to all of his fellows, just the same way that um, you see David and Solomon, they had to read the entire book of the law, they had to have it hidden in their hearts, every single one that preached. Paul says, I have said every single word to you that I could possibly bring, and so I want to do the same. But something I want to note here and, and look at is here in verse 10. Look at it together. And the valley of Siddam was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they remained fled to the mountain. Did you see that? And the valley of Siddam, it was full of what? Slime pits. It's full of slime pits. And who fell there? The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. The king of Sodom is a picture of who in the Old Testament? You'll see in a couple verses. We'll see it here. But I'm going to just give it to you. It's a picture of Satan. We know that Sodom and Gomorrah is a place of huge just orgy fest slash like sex and homosexuality and all this stuff rampant here in this city. In Sodom and Gomorrah we see later. But even now, back in these days, the wicked city, Sodom and Gomorrah, the king of Sodom, Satan, Lucifer. Guess where they fell? They fell there in the valley of Siddim, which is what? Full of slime pits. What a great picture. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah, where did they fall? In the slime pits. And it's a great picture for you and for me because, my friends, every single time we go towards what? The king of Sodom. We chase after that city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Every single time we chase after the world, guess where we will be in the end? We'll be in the slime pits, my friends. We'll be all slimed up and messy and we don't even know how we got here. Trying to reach out, trying to get some air, wondering why we're depressed and down and bummed out in life at times. Because we're in the slime pits. You know the scriptures, and I know them too. You guys understand it. I know you do. There's a way that seems right into a man, and then destruction comes. The way that seems right. Wow, this is cool. This is cool, though. This is fun, man. Everything hurt. Uh, and then you become an alcoholic and beat your kids one day. How did that happen? There are so many different things and so many different roads we can go down, but the end is always the slime pit. You must understand this. This is Christianity 101. You know this, I know this. The question for my heart is when I'm about to sin, when I'm about to fall into something that I know is wrong, how do I convince myself? How do I find myself falling into the slime pit even though I know it's wrong? I justify somehow. You justify, you say, well, you know, I don't know how you do it, I know I do it. And this is the problem. And this is what you must remember, and I say it to you all the time, because I love you guys, listen. The sin you do, and that time when you're thinking, this is wrong, I know this is wrong, this is wrong, I'm not doing it. Remember, it's always greater than what you can handle. Always greater than what you can handle. It's going to be a bigger load than what you can take on your back. You think, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm just doing this. 
it's okay for that moment, for that time. It's not that big to handle for this moment, that time. But if it's 10 years from now or 20 years from now, it's going to slap you in the face harder than you would ever expect it to slap you in the face. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. We know that. Are you forgiven? You better believe it. The king has forgiven you. If you've been messing up this week, if you've been dabbling in sin and been places that you should not be, if you've been thinking this about her or saying that about him, or disobeying your parents, laughing at your boss, or doing things that you shouldn't, that you know you shouldn't be, you're forgiven. It's forgotten. The king does not remember what you've done, my friends. I remember your sins no more, so no more, he tells us. No more. What do you mean, Lord? You don't remember what I did? No. You did something? Uh, I think I did. You mean you don't remember? How could you do that? People that I wrong in this life, they never forget. They hold it against me all their days. But you would let me free, set me free. What a wonderful king we serve. He's done that for you and he's done that for me. Do we reap what we sow? Yep. You're in the surf, you do wrong, you reap wrong. That's just the way it goes, my friends. We all know that. And that's okay. You've made your bed, now lie in it. And I will too. Lie in that bed, endure it, and say, I know, King, I'm ready to take it. I made my bed, I'm ready to lie in it. I'm forgiven, my sin is wiped away clean, I'm going to heaven. The Lord is not mad at me, He's not bummed out on me. Lord, but I jumped in the slime pit 50 times. You even put up a fence around it. He loves you. And He'll throw that life jacket out there for you a million times. Come on, Joe, there He goes again. Josh, don't go in, please. I don't want you to go in. I don't want you to cut yourself. I don't want you to be bleeding. I don't want you to be down. Please don't go in there. Sorry, King. I'm, I'm out of here, man. Guys, come on, man. Look at this last bit. You know? You're jumping over the fence and going for it. It's fine. It's a thing to do, man. And then what happens? You start drowning. And there's my king. Lord, help the boy who cried wolf. But guess what? The Lord always comes to the rescue. No matter how many times I cry out. Are you faking me, Josh? Are you going to do it again? Yeah, probably. I'll save you anyways. Come on, get out of there. You're forgiven. He's a good God. And I want to serve Him because of that. And I will serve Him because of that. Don't follow the Sodom of Gomorrah, the king of Sodom. Don't. Get away from that. What does sin do to you? Remember, it crucifies you. You'll be a bloody mess before you know it. Are you forgiven? Yep. But you'll be bleeding at every end and wondering what to do. Depressed and feeling empty and weak because you've cut yourself. Don't do that. Verse 13 we're going to jump down to. Actually, we're going to read verse 11 and 12. And they looked at all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals, and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. 
And there came one, verse 13, that had escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, or Eshcol, and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abraham. And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them into Dan. Did you hear that? This is the first mention of true war in the Bible. First mention. Very important for you Bible students. Listen. If you want to know the meaning of a word in the Bible, you always... Hermeneutics. Special on hermeneutics. You ready? It's not hermeneutics. It's hermeneutics. Jesus, sorry, that's a joke. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of the Bible. Learning the Bible. How do, you, how do you break this down? How do you understand it? Hermeneutics. If you want to know the meaning of a word or what the Bible is trying to say thoroughly through the Bible with one word, you always go back to the first mention of it within the text, within the Bible. The first time it's mentioned, that is where scholars will use that word to translate most of the time what it means for the rest of it. There's, different, I mean, there's, there's differences and there's different times um, ways you would use it, but the way that you want to get the greatest understanding of a word is you always go back to the first mention. And what is the first mention? The first mention of war is right here in this text. Guess what the reason is for war here? There is only one reason for war and only one reason we should ever go to war. And that is for what? For our family. For our family members. Who's in trouble? Abraham's brother. And so what does he do? He goes and declares war. You're, you're coming out of there. And I'm coming after you. And you will not take my family. And that sounds right, doesn't it? I love the illustration that uh, John gives one time, John Corson. He gives an illustration about um, when is it okay to be angry with somebody? Righteous anger. Righteously pissed off, if I can say that. Sorry to those of you listening. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Righteously mad. One time, John's standing there with his, his daughter, Mary, and she's got a dress on, standing there, and this guy, this, this, this guy just comes up out of nowhere. John's sitting there, they're like looking at some shop, they're getting ready to walk in, they're on the sidewalk somewhere. And uh, it's like, a, I think it was an open door mall, or an outside mall. They're standing there, and this guy walks up with a camera, and, and, and she's like looking at something like this, or, or something like that. And, and John's, you know, getting ready to walk in the store, and he looks over, and he sees this guy, he gets down, and he takes a picture under her skirt. Yeah, straight up. Takes a picture, and John sees him, he's just like, and he starts chasing this guy down like this guy like sees Johnny's like and John is not a small man okay <laughs> I mean we're talking like 6'3 you know like 260 pounds of solid muscle he's in the Olympics like throwing the discus and the shot put this guy's yoked right and uh, captain of his football team all the above this guy is you know junk horse and you know he chases this guy down and he does not stop running until he grabs him. And John, I mean, he can run fast. I would see him running when I was out there on the mission. He would run every day. I'm serious. He'd just be like chugging away like a tank. And, and he grabbed this guy. He grabbed him by the throat and threw him up against the wall. He says, if you ever do that again, I will kill you. And he said, give me that camera. He took the camera and he broke it in his face. He said, he said go away. He let him go. And, and that was the end of that. I'm sure I was frightened to death. <laughs> and that is righteous anger. You better believe it. Anybody touches one of my family members, somebody's going to get hurt, you know. I don't believe we're to be looking for that kind of stuff like, 
Yeah. Somebody looks at you mad dog and what? You look at my family member? Oh, snack! You know, you're like, <laughs> you don't need to do that, you know. We, we don't need to be crazy. We don't need to be looking for those things, you know. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. But he that loves not, knows not God, for God is love. This is the first mention of war here. We're not to be fighting about land. We're going to go to war because I want that land. Wrong. We're going to go to war because of politics. Wrong. We're going to go to war because of money. Wrong. No. It's incorrect. It's found here in Genesis chapter 14. We see the first mention of it. And I'll read through it here real quick. I think we read up to where? Verse 14. Let's go to verse 15. And he divided himself against them and he and his servants. How many did Abraham take with him? He trained 318 men. That's it. Oh, I love it. Against five kings. Oh, snap. I can't wait to see what's going to happen here. Look what he does. He attacks by night. It says here in verse 15. They would attack and leave. They would attack and leave. Attack by night is the... You're not, I mean, you're not supposed to do that in war. You attack by night, man. You're, somebody's going down. It's such a such a great way of attacking because nobody can see anything and so you just swoop up and just drop kick and he has he has definite right to do this and so you see that he divided himself against them and he and his servants by night and they smote them and pursued them to Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus and he brought them back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot calling him his brother it's his nephew remember and his goods and the women also, and the people. Righteous anger. The only time war is justifiable is to liberate your family. Remember that. Remember that. Verse 17, let's move on. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, that's what it is, and the kings that were with him, and the valley of Sheve, Shevi, which is the king's dale. I love this next verse. Are you ready? And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Stop there. Melchizedek. King Melchizedek. Melchizedek. King of righteousness. Righteousness. King of righteousness. I love this. Because if you look at Hebrews chapter 7, it says Melchizedek has no genealogy. He has nowhere that he's ever come from that they know of. Who is this king and where does he come from? The king of righteousness who comes with bread and wine. I know of another king who came with bread and wine. Who sat at the table and broke bread with his disciples. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of Righteousness, Jesus our King. This is a picture of Jesus seen in, in the Old Testament. A picture of Jesus, or an actual image of Jesus. A Christophany, they call it. 
Jesus in the Old Testament. What are you doing here, King? What is Jesus doing in the Old Testament? That's because He is God. And He has been living for all of eternity. He has been alive. We know in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in the fire, do you remember? When they were in the fire and, and, and they threw them in and what happened? All of a sudden, the, the soldiers look in and remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to the idol gods. So they said, if you don't bow, you're going in the furnace. And they said, we're not bowing. So they throw them in the furnace. We only serve the one and true God. And what happens? They look in there. They threw three guys in there. And they're looking in there. All of a sudden, the soldiers look and they say, there's not three guys in there. There's four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of Man, the Son of God. There's Jesus. And the ropes were burnt off their hands. And they're walking around with this fourth man in there. Who is that? It's Jesus, our King. And here he is once again, the King of Righteousness, the, one with, the man with no genealogy. Jesus, Melchizedek. And look what it says he did. The words, the king of what? Salem. Does it say that in, the, in, in verse 18? you see that? Check it out for yourself. The king of Salem. Guess what Salem means? Peace. The king of peace. He is the prince of peace, isn't he? And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth, what did he bring forth? Bread and wine. And he was the priest of the most high God. You better believe it. In verse 19, he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abraham and the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thy enemies out of your hand. And he gave them tithes of all. The God who did what? The God who did what, my friends? Listen, listen, get this, don't miss this. Blessings on you. Blessings to the Most High God who has brought forth or conquered your enemies. Who has delivered you from thine enemies. I love that. That promises for you and me also, in this way. Enemies that rise up against you. People that come against you. If you are serving the King and living for Him, the enemy will always be drop-kicked and defeated. Every time. My boss is a jerk. The Lord will deliver you. My parents don't let me go to church. They try to pull me back. The Lord will deliver you. So-and-so did this to me or that to me. The Lord will have His way. You don't fight that battle. You kick back and you be faithful. The Lord will deliver you. You can rise up against thousands and thousands can come against you and he'll use 318 men to destroy the whole thing. The Lord is faithful. You must remember two things. Number one, the picture that we see here, communion. We see bread and wine being brought. The picture of communion. Abraham, blessings on you. I bring to you what? Bread and wine. Why? To let you know that it is not you who has won that battle. It is not you who has pulled yourself out of sin. It is not you who has given you this life and that abundantly. It is not you, Josh Thompson, that is speaking to the people. It is not you who has been given that opportunity because of what you've done. It is not you. 
It's not me. It's Jesus and what He has done for us. You must remember that. You must stay focused on that. You must get back to communion every day of your life or the battles will not be won. If you do not remember what Jesus has done for you, you have no motivation in your life. Why would you serve Jesus every day? Why? Remember, that's why you see the 60-year-old pastor who's bummed out and is fed up with his church because he's forgotten what it's all about. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done for me. Remember the 20-year-old kid who's all fired up for the king. Why? Because he realized what Jesus has done for him. I can't believe the Lord's forgiven me and set me free. Wow, what a wonderful life He's given me. Guess what? When you stop taking communion, you forget about all those things. Guess what? If somebody's mad at you, if somebody's done something to you and you're mad at them, go take communion, I dare you. What will happen? You realize what Jesus has done for you and the love that He's shown to you and the forgiveness that He's brought to you and what would happen? Your heart melts. Oh Lord, forgive me. How can I be mad at this person for what they've done to me? I've done so much more to you and you offer me gifts. Heaven and blessings and promises. Why would you do that for me? When you're mad about something because it did not pull through, you get to go back to the cross. And remember that He said it's finished and all the work there's nothing you need to do anymore. He's going to take care of it all. Every single answer to the entire universe is found at the cross. Paul says this in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter two, verse one, I think, or two. He says, "I'm determined to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I want to know. I don't want to hear nothing else. Jesus Christ and Him crucified." That is why you pray. That is why you read your Bible. That's why you fellowship, and that's why you go to church. That's why you witness to people, my friends, because of what Jesus has done for you. It's all centered around the communion table. Take communion daily, I dare you. Don't let it be some vain repetition. Taking communion again today. <laughs> Give me the drink. Remember, I think I told you the me and my brothers, we used to just wait for the biggest piece of bread we could snatch. Like, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so the big loaf of bread would come by, and you're like, you get to grab, like, we were young, you know, and they, we had the big, like, cups of juice, like this big, so it was like snack time for us, you know. <laughs> Wrong! You have food at home to eat, Paul would tell me in 1 Corinthians 11. Josh, don't come here to eat. Come here to remember Jesus and what he's done for you. Your life will be sweet and wonderful and amazing when you take communion daily, oh, I better go buy communion cups, and I better go to the grocery store and get juice, and get the right crack. No, you don't have to do that. That's cool. I've always wanted like a little like communion carry around pocket, you know, edition, you know. So I can take communion wherever I go. Because it's a celebration, man. It gets my heart back to what this game is all about. It's not about me and making a lot of money. It's not about me and being successful and famous and cool in this life. Nope. It's not about me doing this or that or accomplishing these things. No. It's about Jesus and what He's done and what I can do for Him. And when I live like that, guess what? I become successful. And I become prosperous. 
and I communicate to millions and thousands of people I come in contact with and loving on them and blessing them because I've been impacted by what Jesus has done for me. You see? It's a much greater difference than you could ever make. Gosh, I wish Hollywood could see this. Wish eyes would be opened. It's about Jesus and getting back to that. If you want your battles to be won, my friends, take communion. Get back to the cross, just as Melchizedek, the king, comes to Abraham with this. And what does Abraham do when he, after he takes communion, after he sees the, the bread and the wine? It says he gives all of his tithes. He gives his tithes. There's many times in my life when I become weary. And I become down, and I don't want to serve the king anymore, and I don't feel like it. Would you go and talk to those people for me, Josh? I'd please be, be my hand. Go and minister. I don't want to. I'm tired, Lord. I've been ministering all day. I'm fed up. I don't want to prepare a message. I don't want to go and do that. I don't want to go to church today. I, I, I just don't feel like praying. I don't want to read my Bible. I'm sick of these words. I look at it and it looks it's a blur to me. It's not getting in here anymore. I go to church every week and I'm not fed anymore. Guess what? You get back to the communion. And you get on your face. And you eat that bread and you drink that cup. And you realize what Jesus has done for you, that you're forgiven of all your sins. He's given you heaven and life in that abundantly and you celebrate. It's instant motivation. It's like a lost energy drink or something for me, you know? Boost, man! I can't help but want to serve the King of all. I can't help but want to what? Bring my tithes and my offerings. Just like Abraham here. The bread and the wine come and the tithes come. You want to know how you get the church to tithe? You let them see what Jesus has done for them. You don't say, you better give, you know, and you'll be blessed. You let them see the love of Jesus. If they could see how good Jesus has been to them, there'd be more money flowing in that church than we know what to do with. We'd have to tell all the banks, like, we're sorry that there's so much coming in. Please just bear with us. The people love Jesus. They just want to give. We have people vacuuming all the church. Like, we, we, it's been vacuumed six times already. Give me that. You know, we don't need any more vacuuming. You're wasting electricity now. Okay, please, children's ministry. No moss. No moss. Please. Well, I just want to serve, though. Can I, can I just bring a pencil to a child or something? What can I do for the Lord? I want to bless him. There would be so much motivation inside because you've realized what Jesus has done. Think about those times. Right now, think about those times when you've been the most lit up for the king like never before. You realize what the Lord did. You were so blessed by him and filled. And you just wanted to serve and you just wanted to be faithful and you just want to love on him and bless his socks off. Get back to that point. Get back to that point. Whatever you were doing, start doing that again. Start taking communion daily in your life, remembering Jesus, not who I have to call today on the cell phone or what I got to do about this and that. Who cares? Things don't matter. You put Jesus first and you take communion in the morning and you 
You're going to give all your tithes and offerings without even trying. It's not going to be a burden to you. I've got to go to church, man, because of what the Lord's done. Like, let me in those doors so I can worship the King because He's so awesome, man. Give me some of that word. I can't wait to hear. Please, I need to be convicted today. I want to change for the Lord more. You know what I'm talking about? That sweet taste in your mouth. His name is Jesus, Jesus. Sad hearts weep no more. He's healed the brokenhearted, opened wide the prison doors, and He's able to deliver evermore. Let's close it up here. Verse 21, 20, 24. Here we go. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, so notice, two kings came to him. Number one who? Melchizedek. Jesus our king. Then who comes? Who's the second king that comes? The king of Sodom. Who is that? Satan. Lucifer. And what does he say? Look what he says. Very ironic. He said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said unto the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hands unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I will not take from a thread, even a shoelace, that I will not take anything from you, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Save only that which the young man had eaten, and the portion of the men went with me. Anner, Eshkel and Mamre let them take their portion. What happens? Look at it, my friends. The king of Sodom, Lucifer, comes to him and says what? Why don't you uh, give me the persons and you take all the goods? Give me the persons, you take all the goods. And what does Abraham says? I've lifted my hands to the king. I've lifted my hands to the holy God. I will not take anything from you. I will not even take a shoelace from you, little buster. Can't even believe you came and offered that to me. I will not take that. What does Lucifer ask for there? Did you see that in verse 21? Read it. Let's read it together. Or I'll read it to you if you're not there. Listen. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons. You know what that word persons there means? If you have a King James Bible, you can look at the margins. It says in Hebrew, the word is souls. Give me the souls. You take the goods, give me the souls. And Abraham says what? I will not take anything from you. I will not even take a shoelace from you. I will not take anything from you. Give me the souls. You know what Lucifer wants to do to you, my friends? He wants you to give your soul to him. He wants you to take your persons and the souls that you know and bring them to him. Help, help. Come on, help. Take the goods. Take whatever you want. I'll give you money. I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you whatever. I'll give you happiness. Did you hear me to say that? I'll give you happiness. Lucifer will bring you happiness. You know what happiness is? It's a feeling that comes and goes. But he cannot bring you joy. Joy is a deep satisfaction within you that will never leave you all of your days. He can bring you happiness. He can bring you that good fulfillment for a second there. I'm happy, man. Party on. Yeah! With my boys. I've had some happy times. But those ones crash and burn. 
But the joy that the king has brought to me is unspeakable, and I can never deny it all the days of my life. I cannot. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. Joy. Jesus, others, then yourself. You want joy? Put Jesus first in your life. Then others. There was just a quick scenario when I was in Utah. It's a quick illustration for this. And it was the sweetest joy. It's something small. I had, I had three lost drinks, right? They're my energy drinks. I think, you know, the best. They don't taste like cough syrup, so don't say that. Okay? They're awesome. I had three. Phil. Phil Vonk, my man. He wanted, he's like, dude, you got to give me a lost drink so I can be awake on the drive home. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, I only got three left, so I got two now. You know, I'm drinking one right now, right? And somebody in the back goes, Hey, Josh, can you get a lost drink? I'm like, oh, man. It's not a lost drink, man. I'm like, I love this drink. I love this tea. I want it. And I said, this is what I said to him. I said, it's my last one. And he said, oh, it's cool, man. And I knew he was going to say that. He says, my last one. And I, I worked it so that he would say, oh, it's cool, man. I kept it, and it was sitting there in my backpack, and I, my mind just started just turning. I'm like, oh, it's like blood on my hands, you know? <laughs> like I had a chance to bless him, and I didn't do it because I'm selfish. And I just felt the Lord say, you know, even though He told him no, just give it to him. And so I did. I just took it, and I just turned around to Ryan. I didn't say anything. I just passed it back, and he got in sight. You know, thanks, Josh. You know, and it was the greatest joy. Is greater than what I can explain to you or tell you, you know, because I was set free. There's that bondage on me, like, mine, you know, like, I gotta be this little sneak. For me to drink that would have not have been a greater pleasure than me giving that to him in that moment. It was so sweet and it was so great to be able to let it go and give it away. I don't care. And that's what I'm realizing more and more in this life. The more I serve Jesus, even if it seems like I don't know what's going on, I feel like I could be going and doing this and that and having a blast. What? Hey, the Lord has blessed me. I mean, blessed me. I've had three cars given to me for free. I have a sick motorcycle that I can blast off on and go 160 anytime. Well, I can't go that fast anytime I want. I have a great job. I, I, I get to go and speak and do all kinds of cool stuff here and there. Just, I, I just sit here and analyze my life and say, how did I get here? What am I doing at this point? Have I, have I been a good person? No, my friends, I'm telling you. I've not been good. If I could peel back my heart, you would see the sin in my life and the things that I do, and you say, that's not a good man. The Lord has been good to me. This is the key. How do you stop yourself from falling into the king of Sodom? This is it. Are you ready? Listen. How do you stop yourself from falling into the slime pit? How do you stop yourself from taking the goods and giving the soul? How do you do it? This is it. Get ready. It's by doing just the opposite. You seek Jesus with all your heart 
and those things will fall off like never before. And you will not be in the slime pit, and you'll be free. Are you going to mess up? Yeah, we all mess up. I mess up. The more you seek, you just seek Him. Yeah, but I got this and this and this and this and this going on. I don't care. Seek Him. Seek His faith. Don't focus on the don'ts. You focus on the don'ts, and you're going to be jacked up. You focus on the do's. You just start doing and start seeking after the King. Love on Jesus. Go to Melchizedek. Take the drink, man. Give the offering. And be blessed. Don't focus on the don'ts. If you occupy yourself all day with chasing after Jesus and being with Him, Josh's time is dry. feels like winter time. It's cold. Spring's right around the corner. Everything's going to blossom. Summertime's coming, my friends. It's going to be okay. The Lord has parted every Red Sea in my heart, in my life and in my heart, I can testify to you. Every single Red Sea has been parted. And I walk on dry ground and lift my fists in the air. Whether I'm all bummed out before the Red Sea, like, oh, the Egyptians are coming, I'm going to die. Or before the Red Sea, I'm like, you're not going to do anything. The king's delivered me every time. What are you going to do? Red Sea part. And all of a sudden it does and I walk on dry ground. Robert and Anita may be, you know, stressing about the house and getting it sold and wondering, well, okay, we want to make sure everything's right and, and get everything perfect and getting the house ready the last couple months. And what did the Lord do? Dry ground. It's a breeze. Don't even worry about it. I love that. And the Lord always pulls through in that way. You know what I'm talking about, friends? Please hide these words in your heart. Please don't forget tomorrow when you wake up. Bobby, don't forget, man. Take it at school and run with it. Vincent, stand strong for the king all your days. Be faithful to him and he'll bless you and your family, I promise. Robert, the same with you. The Lord has blessed us, my friends. He's been good to us at times in life when we want to chase, and even when we haven't, He's been good. He stands there with open arms waiting for us to chase after Him and spend time with Him. And I will. Remember. Remember, remember, remember. Let me talk to the King real quick. Robert, do we have King set out? We do not. Yeah, we do. We do have King. Oh, praise be to the King. So what we're going to do so I want you guys to do okay I'm going to pray listen I'm going to pray I'm asking to bless this and this is what I want you guys to do individually okay here I want you to go and take communion by yourself okay you can walk outside here outside there you can walk out the front door if you want to walk out the back door there if you just want to be in here quiet Maybe not in the back part of the house, but maybe right here in the front room there, or over here in this. Or if you just want to kneel down, maybe we can kick the lights down just a sec. And I just want you guys to go spend time with the Lord by yourself. Communion is what? Two things, remember? Confession and celebration. Confess your sin before the Lord. Lord, I know this is wrong. I know I've cut myself up. This is why I'm a mess. And then celebrate. I thank you that you've forgiven me. 
And then you've forgotten about it, and you don't even remember that I did anything wrong. Why would you do that? Remember His body. Remember what He's done for you. Get motivated tonight. Go spend time with God. Open your mouth and talk to Him. I dare you. See if He listens. See if He's there with you. And so let's do that. Spend like five, you know, ten minutes, as much time as you like with the Lord, and then you guys can come back in and we'll fellowship and talk. And so we'll just take it casually that way, okay? So let me pray and ask the Lord to bless. Oh, Father, Lord, do you hear us? I just want to say thank you for being there for us. Would you guys say thank you? Each one of you, please say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Say thank you again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for being a good king. Thank you for being a wonderful God. We want to see you for who you are and love on you all of our days because of how sweet and wonderful. Gosh. I just want to say thank you and just ask at this time of communion, Lord, that each person would have an experience with you and open their mouths and talk to you and confess and spend time with you and realize they're forgiven and it's forgotten. That you be glorified. So we thank you that you brought us here tonight. Continue to bless the rest of this night. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.